0: Culture is about 95% determined by who you have on the court playing the game for you.
1: Today on the podcast, we get to hear from a Madison, Wisconsin legend who held his playing career at Kenyon College, Coach Shaka Smart. Coach Smart stayed in the Pennsylvania area post-college, finding an assistant role at California PA, which then led him to assistant roles at Akron University, Clemson, Florida, and into his first head job at VCU. After helping VCU get to their first Final Four appearance in school history as one of the youngest head coaches in the Division I basketball realm, Coach Smart then, later, went on to take a head role at Texas and now currently serves as the man in charge at Marquette University. Please welcome Coach Shaka Smart. Dr. Dish Basketball is the number one selling shooting machine in basketball by providing the most innovative game-like training, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics that allow coaches and players to be better every day. Everybody's trying to get better every day, right? Why not use Dr. Dish Basketball? All you have to do is mention the Rising Coaches podcast, or you're a member of the Rising Coaches Organization for an exclusive discount on your own personal Dr. Dish. Welcome to another episode of the Rising Coach Podcast. I'm your host Doug Caputo, alongside your co-host Alan Major, and we are expi- excited—excuse me—to speak with the current head coach of Marquette University, Draka <laughs> Smart. Coach Smart, what's going on? What's up, Doug? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here,
0: brother. Good to see you. Been a minute. Good to see you. Yes, sir. Always good to see you, Alan.
1: So to give you a lowdown of how things will go, we're one, we're gonna jump into your playing career and then how that kind of trickled into your journey as to where you are now. <laughs> um, but then we'll talk a little bit about, I know we were mentioning about your defenses in previous years, um, and what what is stapled or known as essentially havoc. And I know you you said you'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, but What we want to start with is your playing career. So I know you started and played at Kenyon College, which is great because so I'm actually coaching out here in Pittsburgh um, at Chatham University, which and we've recently played Kenyon uh, and you know familiar with the D3 life. But for you, talk about your experiences playing at Kenyon. You know, maybe something you've learned there that you still incorporate to this day.
0: Oh, I learned a lot. I think uh, probably the biggest thing is. I went to Kenyon because of the coach, a man by the name of Bill Brown. And, you know, that was kind of my first introduction to college coaching, even well before I knew I wanted to be a coach. Um, You know, for whatever reason, he kind of took me under his wing, put his arm around me, treated me like his son. And, you know, that's what, you know, really got me thinking about what he did for a living. Um, unfortunately, after my freshman year, one of the worst days of my life uh, was in the middle of June. He called me. I was at home uh, with my mom, and he told me he was leaving to take another job. So that wow. was kind of an introduction into the way that college coaching works, where every spring, you know, there's there's people that change jobs, and that affects mm-hmm. a lot of people as a lot of downstream. Um, impacts on players, coaches, staffs, uh, programs. And the only silver lining was he, you know, he told me not exactly at that time, but later on, he was, he, he was back visiting Kenyan over a weekend that next year. And he said, listen, man, um, if you ever want to get into coaching, you can come work for me. And so that kind of planted a seed into my mind. And that's what I did. You know, it's amazing how the power of suggestion, and we always talk about that in coaching. Yeah. You know, it's, um, that's it, <laughs> right? Power of suggestion. But um, it's so incredibly impactful on a young person when someone who they respect plants a seed in their mind. And that's what yeah. happened for me with Coach Brown. So I ended up, when I got done playing, uh going directly to California University of Pennsylvania, which was in a one-stop light town southwestern Pennsylvania about 20 30 minutes from the West Virginia border and being a graduate assistant I made ninety dollars every two weeks I used to eat at subway every single day <laughs> four dollar foot long at that time yeah, you were, you were the original Jared man and Damn. I was now and uh, Alan, I would eat. I would I would order the sub of the day, you know, so it's a different sub every day. Right, right. You know, on Monday was like a pizza sub, Tuesday turkey, uh, Wednesday tuna, Thursday Italian, you know, Friday roast beef. And so that was $4. And I would eat half of it for lunch and half of it for dinner. <laughs> I, I didn't have any money. And so <laughs> it was a really... Um, Terrific experience for me, um you know. People, you know, always talk about why different coaches coach and why mm-hmm. they got into coaching. uh It certainly, you know, wasn't you know for financial reasons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you,
2: you find that out real quick, though. Like it, it's like, do I really? Yeah. You know, is this it or is it?
0: You know? Well, you know, when I was working uh, for Coach Brown that first couple years, and I was a GA for him for two years, I would have stayed. Beyond that, I actually, after I graduated from being a GA, he offered me um, a part-time assistant job for $8,000. So oh, that would have been this huge race.
2: Rolling. I, was gonna yeah.
0: do, I, you know, I was really happy. I was staying in an apartment that cost $150 a month. You can imagine how <laughs> nasty that was. <laughs> right. but, man, I was so happy. I was, do, you know, in Division Two, you get to do everything. You're doing the workouts. You're mm-hmm. doing scouting. You can scout in person. So, I would you know drive yeah. five hours to Mansfield, Pennsylvania, to scout a game and then drive back mm-hmm. recruiting, um, you know, game preparation. All the things that assistant coaches at the Division one level do, I got to do for a couple of years there. Um, but you know, I think that when you you look at the the beginning of people's careers, it's very, very important to, you know, kind of see the foundation that they had. Yeah, and you know, typically it is very, very humble beginnings, right? It cer- certainly was for me. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Shaka. You, we
2: had Matt Painter on, and his first gig, and I'm sure a limited number of people knew this: Washington and Jefferson, d three, very but close had, by. Actually. Yeah, 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 and but he had a part time job driving a forklift. Hmm. You know, and he, you know, it was just he was reflective about it, is honest, but you know. I think part of this platform is letting coaches know, regardless of level, like, you know, don't so much be caught up in where it starts. Like if you have an opportunity, like that's the only job in the world. If you do, if you do get a foothold somewhere and just throw yourself into it, because, you know, if you get caught up in what's on the other side, you know, you can, you can get disheartened or, you know, lose it real quick. So um, I love that, man. Appreciate you
0: sharing that. That's good stuff. Well, I'll tell you one other thing from my time as a graduate assistant, I never forget my first final four, you know, and I think for, for all of us in the profession, uh, you know, the final four, and maybe not so much since COVID, but, you know, before that, um, you know, such an important time for gathering with, you know, other coaches from other places. And so yep. my first time I went with Coach Brown and again, he's like, like my dad, you know, I was raised mm-hmm. by a mom. So he, he's, he's, you know, father figure me, whatever he says, I'm going to do. Yeah. And he said, well, you really need to meet people and, and do some networking at this final four. And at that point, everyone I knew was through him. It was only people that he had introduced me to. Right. So that year, the final four was in Minneapolis and he kind of drops me off in downtown Minneapolis. And he's like, meet people and uh, (laughs) there was coaches everywhere. Uh, But, you know, it was a a little overwhelming and it was a little intimidating in that I didn't know anyone, I didn't play division one. You know, every once in a while I run into someone that I'd met through coach Brown. Right. But it was also, it was a fun challenge in understanding that, hey, all these folks are connected by basketball. And you know, there's very few degrees of separation between us, yeah, yeah, yeah. In for other sure. words, you know, even you just mentioned Coach Matt Painter. Well, the guy he worked for, Coach Ryder, yep, Washington and Jefferson, Tom Ryder, yeah, God Coach the rest his soul, friend of mine and also was close <laughs> with Coach Brown. I used to go over to Washington and Jefferson and watch their practices. So, I mean, it's that, yeah. there you well, go connections even though we don't necessarily know everyone doesn't know each other yeah and that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed about coaching and I think unfortunately I know I sound like an old guy here but (laughs) sometimes with some of the younger guys getting the profession they don't even look at it along those lines it's more man I'm in such a hurry to become this or become that or get to this level right and I know for me when I was a D.A and i was about to be the part time guy my my third year and i was like i loved it i mean oh, i yeah i mean i yeah. followed big time basketball at that time i was a huge fan of billy donovan and tom izzo and yeah yeah you know uh, uh dean smith had just retired and i was you know he like so i followed all that stuff but it was never like man i got to go be them you know it was more yeah. just, hey i love where i'm at i love I'm gonna work these guys out in 15 minutes. That's awesome. Like Yeah, yeah,
2: right. That's the only it's thing in the world. It. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's funny, Chuck, I wear this hat, and you probably can't see the the the, the words, it. but it's a subtle message to our profession. You know, like, hey, man, everybody. Like you said, we kind of get. We're we're in such a fast track society, right? Like we we really knew society got screwed up when Mc, McDonald's goes to two drive through lanes. You know, like that was the <laughs> that was the beginning of the end. You know, and so we're in such a just add water, microwave society that sometimes that investment in yourself and that investment in your craft and and just trust what you're doing, trust where you are. Don't get caught up in the in end, end game you know that's a bit of a lost art so you know th- th- that's that's some diamonds you're dropping man because i we're in a i think our profession needs to be reminded of that you know in this day and age absolutely
1: yeah everybody always sees i feel like the uh the glitz and the glamour and you going you know the vcu texas and then marquette and all these big positions but nobody really knows about all the little things and the, and the struggles that maybe you went through behind the scenes which is great um But we were talking and I know you mentioned a little bit about Cal and PA, but then that kind of brought you on to Akron and then other positions such as Akron, Clemson and Florida. um, And then ultimately leading you into your first head coaching stint at VCU. So just talk about the experiences through those assistant positions and then up into your um, first position at VCU.
2: Also at Dayton in there as well. That's where you and I met.
0: Yeah. So, Doug, uh, one of the things that we used to do in the old days. Um, <laughs> Spoken as,
2: like an old guy again. <laughs> as rising
0: coaches. Is we used to go work camps. Yeah. And so my first couple of years in coaching, I worked about five, six, seven weeks of camp, different places. And one of the places that I worked camp was University of Dayton and I was really fortunate. There was a guy that had played at Kenyon College for Coach Brown that had been at Dayton, Alan knows, name's Bill Komar. Mm-hmm. He moved on and right before he moved on to go to Xavier to work with you guys, Alan. Yeah. Um, he got me into their camp. And so wow. I came and I worked camp and that was my first summer in coaching. Really enjoyed the heck out of it. Um, then the next summer I got a call from their operations guy and he was moving up to become the third assistant. As you guys remember, you might not remember Doug, but Alan does. The third assistant used to be much different than the first oh. and second assistant. Couldn't recruit off campus. Even back in the day before this, it was, it was restricted earnings. Right. Um, Right. And there were certain, you know, restrictions in terms of what you could do. The recruiting was the biggest one.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so this young man, Josh Pastorino, who was became a good friend of mine, uh, he was moving up to become the third assistant. And he called and he said, hey, if you're interested in the operations job, you need to come back and work camp again. Coach Purnell is going to have about 10 or 12 guys work camp. And then from there, he's going to pick out the new ops guy. So I went and I worked camp. And this is when, again, I was about to go into becoming a part-time assistant at Cal after being a GA. And I was fortunate to be offered a job. And I'll never forget going back to Pennsylvania. And I said to coach Brown, Hey, what should I do? You tell me, I love it here. And if I go there and I'm the operations guy, there's going to be certain restrictions in terms of what I can and can't do. Mm -hmm. And I just assume stay here and continue to work for you. And I get to do everything. And learn and he said he's calling one bud he said bud <laughs> but you gotta go right and he said that's a big time program that's a chance to get your foot in the door at the division one level
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so he basically pushed me out the door to go and man i got to dayton and my salary was twenty four thousand dollars. I thought I was so rich. Oh yeah, incredible, yeah, man. yeah. I where's got, the paparazzi? Like, an actual real deal yeah. apartment, right? I could actually eat regular meals. I <laughs> used, Josh and I used to eat at Chipotle every day. So I went from Subway and I to Chipotle, <laughs> and it was awesome, man. I love it. Um, but as you mentioned, I I, I went to day, uh, Akron after that. Um, my last year at Dayton, we had a really, really good team. We beat every team and won every game in the Atlantic 10 except Xavier. Mm. Um, and, and Alan was on the staff at Xavier. They had a bomb squad, um, <laughs> actually bomb squad team and coaching staff. Their coaching staff all went on to be highly successful division one head coaches, but the most impressive guy on their program was David West. Oh, my God. And he was incredible, just incredible. In fact, the last time we played them, he had 48 points and 24 rebounds. Yeah. And I believe cool. he did it on 22 field goal attempts. It's hard to kind of wrap your mind around. Yeah. Um, we just tried,
2: we tried to stay out of his way that
0: day. That was the best guys, thing we could do. Guys just guys just could <laughs> with him. Stay out of his way. So at the end of that year, we were in New Orleans for the Final Four. By this time, I knew a lot of people. So the final four was like the most (laughs) enjoyable time of year.
2: It's a reunion Uh, now.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it's so much fun. And and we were on Bourbon Street and we were in one of those indoor outdoor bars. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the fun and exciting and stressful things about our profession. We're in this bar and we're in the outdoor part of the bar. And someone taps me on the shoulder and they said, look, and they pointed at one of the TVs. And so I turned around and I looked at the TV and it was a picture of Oliver Purnell, my boss, with the Clemson logo. And that's how (laughs) I found out. (laughs) And so, like, what other profession is like that? (laughs) You're on the Street and you find out your, your whole life is changing. Yeah. So I went to Clemson with him for about six weeks as the operations guy. But at that point, I was going on my fifth year doing film exchange and and all the stuff that goes into that. <laughs> I really, really wanted to get on the court. And I was fortunate that Coach Brown, my my original coaching mentor, uh, had a relationship with Dan Hipsher and got me a job at Akron. I was there for three years. I worked for Dan Hipsher and then I worked for Keith Danbrot. Mm-hmm. Keith Danbrot probably was better and nicer to me, maybe other than Coach Brown than anyone I've ever been around. He treated me like a younger brother. My very first day on the job there, he took me with him to help him work out LeBron James, who he coached in high school. We did that for a couple of months leading into NBA Summer League that year. Uh, But I just loved it at Akron. It was, man, what an unbelievable place. Again, I would have stayed there forever. Oliver offered me a job to come back to the ACC and, and be an assistant at Clemson. I really didn't want to go. Liked being where I was, and it was my wife at the time, or my fiance at the time, Maya, who's always been a lot smarter than me. She said, you're out of your mind. You want to be a head coach, you need to go to the high major level. And so we went to Clemson. I was there for two years. Then I went to Florida for one year to work for Billy Donovan, another place that I had worked camp at when I was a youngster. Not that Billy remembered me, but uh, maybe the universe put those things together. I went down there, Doug, to be there for like six, eight years because this was like the guy that I probably looked up to more than anyone else in coaching in the profession Mm -hmm. uh, because of what he stood for and who he was and the energy that he had. Uh, But after being there 10 months, the AD from VCU called me and I went to Billy and I was like, tell me what to do. What you know, what should I do? He's like, don't put that on me. (laughs) um, end up getting offered the job i went back to billy and i said you know if you don't want me to take it man i i'll stay here because i didn't come down here to be here for one year and i'll never forget what he said to me he said shock he said if you leave i'll get someone better than you so go ahead and take the job (laughs) Uh, and so that was you know my 10-year kind of assistant coaching run and then at 31 years old i got the job at vcu
1: and then taking that job at vcu i mean your first head coaching position and ultimately you bring vcu i'm sure many people who know you bring them first and only final four in school history in 2011 just talk about you know your experiences being there but then obviously the experiences of being able to make it because you were talking about being at the final four and finding out that oh hey now I'm moving and now you're at the final four bringing your school there talk about those experiences and and some things that
0: hmm. man there's a lot uh, I can share with that and I'm really appreciative for you guys having me on because um, I think that you know, sharing your experiences and, and connecting and mentoring with younger coaches is is one of the most rewarding parts of having the jobs that we have. No and question. So um, grateful for you guys having me on. Um, I'll tell you, the one negative of going to the Final Four is that it ruins the Final Four for the rest of your career. In other words, <laughs> for 10 no years, question. I guess 11 years, I went to the final four as, you know, just attending the convention. And, you know, if I was fortunate to get tickets, going to the games and then connecting with people. And before I got married, socializing a lot of fun (laughs) as a single guy. Um, Well, when you go with your team and then the next year you go back to do what you had done in all those previous years, it's not the same. Oh man. You know, because, and Alan, you know this, um, man being there. So when you first get there, you go several days in advance because they have you do so much media stuff. Mm-hmm. And the first time you pull up to that arena, it's actually not even an arena. It's a stadium. I mean, we were at, at that time, Reliant stadium. I think it's NRG in, in, in Texas now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the place seats like 90,000 people and you pull up to the stadium And they have these huge like hologram like things on the outside of the stadium of the four schools that are still alive to go after winning the national championship. And I think for whatever reason, that hit me at that moment. Like, wow, like we're one of four. (laughs) Yeah,
2: nobody else left
0: playing. This is awesome. (laughs) So Again, like when you go back to the final four and in subsequent years when your team is not fortunate enough to be in it. You're like, shit, you know, no. <laughs> you know Who's I will say this, you know, this past year at Marquette um, and, you know, this is, I, I'm obviously biased, you know, towards our team, but it's, it's the first time that I've ever felt like, um, you know, when I went to the final four, man, like, and we lost to Michigan State. I mean, they they they, they beat us uh, in in the second round, and they they were physical. They did what Michigan State does. Mm-hmm. It was first time I've ever been to the Final Four as a spectator, as a fan, and said, "We can beat all these teams." Like, like this is like this is something that man. If the ball would have kind of bounced differently, or if we would have been able to get like it's this was realistic for our team. We didn't do it, uh, yeah. and there's a big difference between saying we could have done it and doing it. Right, but uh, that was a, that was an interesting feeling, and then seeing UConn obviously win it and win it so convincingly. Yeah, uh, I mean they they barely broke a sweat in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, being in the NCAA tournament, Doug. First of all, making the tournament my, our first time, we were in the first four, so we didn't know if we were going to make it. We were a bubble team, and so that selection Sunday I will never forget. Uh, I'll never forget the pandemonium in our office Um, and just the appreciation level that everyone in our program had for the opportunity. We had to win three games in five days to advance to the Sweet 16, but it was not a had to, it was a get to. We had this just incredible, like, burst of unlimited energy. Mm -hmm. I mean, we would have played five games in five days if we needed to. Yeah. Um, And it's one of those things as a coach that you try to replicate, but it's so hard to put that in the bottle. Yeah.
2: Pat Riley in this book, uh, in the Winter Within book, he calls that the innocent climb, you know? And it's just like, you don't even know any better. You just, you're so caught up in the moment that you're not thinking about success. You're not thinking about failure. You're just like, let's do this together and let's go who, you know? And let's just take, it'll take us where it takes us, you know, but that's kind of what you guys are almost on like that innocent climb. Like you, you weren't even worried about what was going to happen. You were just fully that much into it. And then obviously it, it almost took you
0: the distance. Well, this is a phrase that, you know, we've come to use all these years later, but you come in a practice gym and in, in, in really big letters, it says, lose yourself in a fight. And I think the point that you're making about, some of those teams that are, you know, don't even know any better, just naive those teams and coaches is they're lost in the fight. And, you know, subsequently they're, they're in the moment. Yeah. um, And it's like, they don't even really know any different. They don't know any better. Exactly. And as you get a little bit more experienced or your eyes become opened, you know, to more of the things that are out there, it actually can become more challenging
1: Mm -hmm. to lose yourself in the fight. Yeah, for sure. Well said. So, Coach, for you, um, I kind of want to stay a little bit on VCU, and I wouldn't bring this up. I know we talked about this a little before, but I, I wouldn't bring this up if it wasn't all over the internet. Um, there's <laughs> breakdowns, and you can literally dissect everything that you guys did. But you were talking, it's more of a mindset rather than um, a specific name. for. It's called Havoc. Can you talk a little bit about like those presses, the full-court press, really just everything in general about Havoc?
0: Yeah, so for us, it, it became an identity, you know, a, a way of life, and it really happened by accident, you know, to be honest with you, really, really good friend of mine, Alan knows uh, this gentleman really well, Dave Tellup, uh, mm-hmm. was, was up uh, on campus the spring of 2009 when I got the job at VCU, and we were doing like a staff brainstorm on recruiting. And at that time, Dave Tellep was the foremost expert, in my opinion, on high school recruiting, evaluating. Uh, He Mm -hmm. had some great creative ideas. He helped me a lot when I was an assistant coach with, remember one time we were recruiting a Romanian kid and he said, find a professor on campus that knows Romanian and write him a letter in Romanian. And so Dave used to help me with all those kind of outside the box ideas. So he was up on campus, and we were doing this brainstorm, and it was like, Well, how do we separate ourselves? Because, as you guys know, there's so many programs, yeah. you know, whether you know, whatever level you want to call it mid major, mid major plus, um, you know, that even high major, there's so many programs that are similar, mm-hmm. are trying to do similar things. Yeah, um, you know, basketball is a pretty simple game, and so that's a way that we were able to kind of separate ourselves. is in my press conference. I had talked about wreaking havoc on our opponents and a lot of people talk big in press conferences, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was something that I said, well, you know, what about that word? Is that something that we can kind of attach yeah. Havoc body? Yeah. Um, yeah. To what we're trying to do. Cause I knew we were going to press. I knew we were going to try to play fast. Because that's what the coaches that I worked for had done, and that's how going back to when I played, even in high school. I mean, when I was in high school, and it's amazing things come full circle. He's in our league now. Um, my high school coach and I used to sit and watch Coach Rick Patino's videos on his black and white press, which which was basically one of them was I can't forget I can't remember which one. A guy was on the ball. Um, and they would do that after layups and, and made shots close to the basket. And one of them, there was nobody on the ball, more of a kind of like a two, two, one alignment. And that was after three. And that's what we did. And I loved it. And right. I loved playing that way. So it's like, man, if I ever become a head coach, we're doing that. Or we're going to try at least we're going to try to yeah. do that. Right. I'd work for Billy. I'd work for Oliver, another fantastic pressing coach. And I knew we were going to play that way. And so, Havoc became, a hey, listen, we are going to go after it more than you. We are going to have more enthusiasm than you. We are going to get on the floor more than you. We are going to wreak havoc on your right. psyche and your plan of attack. You might have something that you practice every day. Yeah. And something that you're game planning to do against most teams. That ain't happening in the game. Yeah, game. Right. Right. And so... <laughs> The presses were part of that, Doug, but it wasn't just the defense. It was a a, a a mentality that we had. And you guys know this about culture. Culture is about 95% determined by who you have on the court playing the game for you. And no so we had this guy named Briante Weber. Oh man. He was phenomenal. And he was a human. Human steel machine. embodiment of havoc. <laughs> yeah. Well, his freshman year, his sophomore year, his junior year, we led the nation in steals and turnovers forced. And I think in a couple of those years, we led the nation in turnover margin. His senior year, I thought he was really on track. He was one of the best players in the country. I thought he was mm-hmm. going to be an All-American In January of his senior year, he tore his ACL. so He was out for the year. Well, guess what? We didn't lead the nation in steals. (laughs) So all that Havoc stuff is great, uh, but it's better when you got Briante Weber. (laughs) (laughs) No no question. Um, The presses, Doug, we used two main presses, and then we had a bunch of kind of derivatives of those. And the two main ones we used were double fist, which is man-to-man, full court, And we had some trapping principles with that, and then diamond, which is you know everybody knows one two one one, um, more of a zone press, and that was one that we really really utilized to get the style of play going because when you get when you play diamond, either something good's going to happen for you pretty quick or something good's going to happen for the other team. Not a lot of in between, and (laughs) that was part of the fun, kind of going back and forth between those two presses. And like I said, we had some
1: some, you know, little counters that we would use within those. And and when you're inputting these presses, like, for practices, um, I'm sure you do a lot of breakdown drills first and then kind of throw them into live action after. Uh, kind of, like, what's the process for inputting these?
0: Well, you know, it, it's, it's kind of been simplified over time. Uh, when I was first getting into coaching, uh, I didn't really get the memo about, You can't do everything all the time. (laughs) So we had, guys, we had nine rules in the trap. Wow. So there's nine things. We got to do all nine of these things. And it was all from Coach Patino, Coach Donovan, my high school coach, Coach Baby, Coach Purnell. It was all stuff I learned from them. And it was all good stuff. So if I took two things from this coach and three things from that coach, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden we had nine. Now we have two. (laughs) And so over time, we've simplified, uh, (laughs) but absolutely, Doug, there was, there was a lot of fundamental drills we did, to be honest with you, it started with full court one-on-one zigzag. And so before we even talked about trapping or any rotations, it was guarding the ball. And it's funny, you know, you can coach a million years. It's still on defense. Is going to come back to that. I don't yeah. care if press At the press or of the day, back line or what you do. No you doubt. better be able to guard that ball. Yeah, and so that was what we started with, and then we would get into trapping fundamentals, um, and then the different rotations in those presses.
2: You probably found too shock like the confidence that you build if you can guard the ball. If and let me let me rephrase that: if you can guard the whole floor. And individually, if you can guard the ball 75, 80 feet from your basket and stay in front of it, how much confidence that gives—not just the individual, but the whole group of guarding the ball inside, you know, 23 feet away from the basket. It's like so, like you just the belief that you get, and the you know, and that confidence obviously breeds energy because you get used to doing that, and guys are like, yeah, I know I can do this that far
0: away. You have to gain energy as the possession goes on. Um, If we were to look back at Ken Palm, at the teams that we had at VCU, Mm -hmm. our defensive possessions on average were actually very long. You know, we were 200 and something in the country in defensive tempo. Mm -hmm. Now, like I said, when we went diamond, that sped it up. All right. But I would say 80% of the time we were in double fist. Yeah. And against a good team, it's not like we're just taking the ball from you. Like, that's just yeah. not how it works. I mean, we play right. Richmond every year, twice a year. They were a rival of ours right across town. Mm-hmm. Those guys had good guards. They were well coached. They had a good plan. So we were going to be in double fist and they were probably going to break double fist. And yeah. now it came down to what you're talking about, Alan, which is okay, how well, and I learned this at Clemson working for Oliver how well can we transition from 94 feet extremely aggressive taking some chances mm-hmm. you know being, being really really y- y- you know aggressive with what we do and 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 almost to the point of reckless right. um, but how quickly can we transition to what we call fixing it which is getting matched up right and being solid in the yeah. half court and not giving them something easy and that's Really, for any pressing yeah. team, any pressing coach knows this. That is, that's the secret sauce. I mean, if you can for get sure. that, I think, I think that, and outnumbered situations, those two things. Yeah, man. I mean, then pressing can become something that actually is higher reward than it is higher risk. Mm-hmm. If you're good at those two things
2: for sure. No, no doubt. No, you're going from defensive aggression to defensive patience. You know, you have those two mentalities literally within a 30 second
1: possession. And especially just working on things, I feel like over time, not only are you getting better at them (laughs) as the press or just being like wreaking havoc on people, but then you're also once you actually have to play against it or something similar to it, it's going to be a lot easier to break it because you're used to it. Um, So what we'll do now is we'll kind of cut to our final segment. Alan, I'm not sure if you have anything else to add before we cut. Yeah, I
2: just got one quick one, Chuck. Um, You know, we always talk about players developing, and that's a big thing with coaches. We're on our players to get better. What's the next step for you developing as a head coach? Because the beauty of it is, you already know this, of course, but like as we get better, all we're going to do is turn around and give it back to them anyway. Um, But as you kind of have done self-dives, you know, whether it's spring or summer, you know, what's what's been that next thing for you that you want to be better at as a coach?
0: Man, I, th- I think that the longer that we do this, the more we see there are areas for growth. Yeah, and for sure. Mike Tomlin is a guy that I, I follow really closely. I, I've never met him. I don't know him. Um, I'm not even particularly a Steelers fan, although I am because of him. Uh, But I watch a lot of his stuff, and actually a couple days ago in a press conference, you know, he was asked a similar question. They were coming off a bye week, Mm -hmm. and he said, man, if you don't have an incredible urgency for self-improvement as a coach, he was talking about coaches. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, obviously this is connected to our teams. Right. You are not, you know, constantly searching for – Okay, where do I need to get better? And how can I apply the lessons I've learned to this team? Exactly. Yeah. This year's team is not the same as last year's team. No, even if you have everybody back, they're different. No, (laughs) human beings change. And especially, I mean, we're coaching college basketball. Think about how much different you were from your freshman year to your sophomore year, even junior year to your senior year. And so... Um, that's I love hearing that from him because you're talking about a Super Bowl champion and a guy that's done everything. Yeah, yeah, Um, exactly because it just it fires me up. Um, I send that kind of stuff to our staff, they probably think I'm crazy. I'm one of those guys that I probably come across like I'm easy to work for, but I'm I'm like pretty hard on these guys in terms of having a level of urgency (laughs) and always wanting more and trying to find more. Yeah. Um, because I've I
2: have sat in your staff meetings before in Texas a couple of
0: times, man. So I, I've, I've I've heard the messaging. In and in I mean that in the highest of compliments. Well, so. you know, I, I know what I felt like when I went from being an assistant to being a head coach, which is holy shit, like this is different. You know, this is not. <laughs> exactly. and so I'm trying to help our guys to prepare yeah. for that. And right. we've been fortunate. I mean, I think we've had. It's either nine or ten assistants that have been on our staff going back to VCU Mm -hmm. that have become head coaches, and most of them have done really well. Yeah, Um, I I, I attribute that to the fact that number one, we've hired really good guys. Number two, I want our guys to do everything. For sure, I don't hire someone just to recruit or just to do scouting reports. Yeah, I mean, man, like you need to do everything. And I guess the flip side of that is there's going to be a level of heat and pressure from me to have urgency in that. Right. Going back to the question you asked, you know, I think for me, constantly like searching for how can I connect better with our players? And then more importantly, Alan, and I've learned this the hard way at Texas. And Mm -hmm. uh, to some extent, I've learned this, you know, I guess in a good way here at Marquette, Mm -hmm. way more important than my relationship with the players is the relationships that we as a staff are able to help them cultivate with each other, you know, player no to play. No question. And I, I think I had a blind spot or a bias for a long time because I was raised by a single mom and mm-hmm. because I looked like, looked at coaches like they were 10 feet tall and because I revered that relationship. Mm-hmm. But, man, that's secondary. Like yeah. Tyler Kolick and Oso Iguodaro and Cam Jones and Stevie Mitchell and David Joplin, our five starters, and then all the other guys on our team, feel a certain kind of way about each other and we're able to, through all the things we do on and off the court, help cultivate and increase and improve that feeling over Mm -hmm. time through adversity, through circumstances, right. And we're doing our job. No question. My urgency starts with that coming in here every day. And I'll give you one other thing uh, over time that I've learned, and I don't think you can ever really master this. Coaching your players is different than coaching your team. And I think it's so easy for us as we go into the season and as we start to prepare for opponents and game plan for games to just coach your team. Yeah. This is what we are going to do on offense. This is what we're going to do on defense. This is how we are going to approach the game. But, man, we are coaching a bunch of individual guys that make up the team and it is incumbent upon us to coach them also as we are coaching the team. And that's an area that man, I'm trying to get better at every day.
2: Yeah, I don't, that, you you hit the nail on the head though. That's, that's like, that's tended to a garden, right? Like a garden's never solved. You know, it has its cycles and you tend to it and you do what you have to do. It, Absolutely. You know, when you water it, you, you you get the hoe, you buck break the soil, you know, and so it's like, and then the next year you do it again yes. and you do it again. So it's like, I've never heard anybody that loves gardening say, yeah, my garden's straight. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> <Like you> got, <laughs> there's going to be something else you got to do to keep that thing going. So that's, it's almost like that. Like it's never, it's never solved. I think it's just got to be tended to with the, the highest of care and, and concern. And so, um, no, nah, that's great stuff, brother. Love that.
1: So coach, what we're going to do is we'll cut to our final segment. Um, what we will ask is we call this a three quick hitter. So we're going to ask three personal questions um, in regards to you, just to learn, help everybody, you know, learn just a little bit more about who you are as a person. Um, and then at the very end, we have one final question that we like to ask all coaches, and then we'll wrap it up from there. Just for these, just short, quick responses, whatever's the first thing that you feel. And uh, to start her off. So, first one is Who was your celebrity childhood role model? Coach, player, it could be something completely irrelevant to basketball, whatever you feel.
0: Magic Johnson.
1: Magic, okay. <laughs> Hard to beat that one. Yeah, that is. that is a tough one to beat. What's the best place you have ever traveled to? I'm sure you got tremendous. That's why I had to ask this one.
0: You know, honestly, it's more about the people I'm with. But if you want to combine people in place, I would say, you know, the foreign tours that I've got a chance to participate in. We just went to Italy this past August. Oof. And wow. you know, when you get to go to a place like that and experience everything that goes along with that with your team, Nothing better. Yeah, no doubt. This would be another
2: beauty of basketball, man. I mean, like, the places this game has taken us, like. Absolutely. Got to pinch yourself.
1: And then the final one, so I'm assuming you've been to one, but what is the best concert or music venue that you've been to?
0: Man, I haven't been to many concerts, but I have been to a few. Mostly it was before I got into coaching. Yeah, I'm one of those people that – (laughs) uh. Once I got into coaching, I didn't really do much else. (laughs) Uh, Dave Chappelle was here actually last night at Mm. our arena. Uh, My wife was was like, do you want to go? And I'm a huge Dave Chappelle fan. Yeah. I was like, no, I got to watch the practice tape. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's what I'm focused on. But when I was a kid, I went to – You two and Public Enemy—that was one concert. They were together. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Really, really powerful. And then, I can't remember. This was before or after that. I went to MC Hammer, Boys to Men, and Jodeci were all in one concert. Wow. And that was legit. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that one. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Dancing and girls passing out all in the same night. (laughs)
0: absolutely
1: and then the final question to wrap things up um for as you know this platform rising coaches is really for any coaches to be able to kind of help one start from your position maybe at a lower tier and then move work their way up but then also learning about the coaching industry so your best and i know there's a lot but best piece of advice for young rising coaches who are trying to get their foot in the door and then how can they accomplish this
0: so are these coaches that are already in in college coaching
1: uh, just in general, because I mean, a lot of people in a lot of, of mm-hmm. our audience could be high school coaches, could be college coaches. So really, yeah. we'll say uh, it's just in, guys, in video
0: guys. It's a it's, okay. a, it's a it's a it's a mix. So I've thought a lot about this, Doug, and my answer might be longer than you want, but I'm gonna give it to you. you That's can fine. Whatever you want. And Alan and I actually used to talk about this stuff. Uh, because we were, we were part of a program called Villa 7 for assistant mm-hmm. coaches. That was a terrific professional development opportunity. Yeah. Um, and I really credit Villa 7 for helping me crystallize in my mind what goes into preparing to be a successful head coach. So I think it starts with, Doug, change your goal. Because most people's goal is to become a head coach, to become a division one head coach, become a college head coach, become an NBA head coach. I think you need to add the word successful to your goal, because I think we all know coaching is a volatile industry. Yeah. And you can reach your goal of becoming a coach. And then you cannot be the coach, you know, a few years after that, um, if you're not successful. So, and coach raveling gave me an incredible piece of advice long ago he said you know to be successful as a coach you got to do three things you got to coach your team right you have to manage your team and you have to lead your team and we don't have time to get into those three things but he said most coaches that get let go they don't get let go because of the coaching part they get let go because they didn't manage properly or they didn't lead properly Um, But the four pieces, four kind of pronged approach I would take if I was a young assistant um, right now is, number one, by far, the most important, be excellent in your current position. Yeah. Be excellent. And that means if you're an ops guy, if you're a video guy, if you're a GA, whatever it is that you're doing, be the best and go above and beyond and make your team win. Mm -hmm. number two not as important as number one but the next most important thing you can be doing is developing and documenting your own head coaching philosophy because when you become a head coach even if like me you worked for some terrific head coaches you can't be exactly like them Mm -hmm. and I learned that because Mm -hmm. I did my first year a little bit try to be like a carbon copy of Billy Donovan but I I I don't have the same things that he has. Like, I'm a different person, different personality. And so you've got to develop your own head coaching philosophy, and you've got to document it. And the more specific you can be with that, the better. I had an assistant coach when I was at VCU that did an unbelievable job. And sometimes I wonder if he took too much time on this. But (laughs) – Unbelievable job documenting exactly how he was going to do every little thing down to the stationary. I mean, at that time, writing letters to guys was a was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what my stationery is going to look like when I become the head coach at fill in the blank. Number three, aggressively build your network, and this is something that you know a lot of people are not really comfortable with. A lot of people say, well, I'm not a self-promoter. That's fine. But at the end of the day, there's only two reasons you're going to get a head coaching job. You're going to get a head coaching job either because you know the AD personally or the Mm -hmm. person making the hire, or you're going to get a head coaching job because someone that you know closely vouches for you so well with that AD um, that that gets your foot in the door and then you do a good job through the interview. That's it. You're not going to cold call you're not going to send in your resume, right. so you better build out aggressively. Build out your resume, and and Alan and I were lucky. We had that Villa Seven, so that that kind of helped us. Yeah, build some relationships with some ads. Yeah, some connectors mm-hmm. um, through that. It's not easy to meet administrators at other schools. What do you do? You know, you yeah, just it's call. Hard. Home. Yeah, But I think that the guys that are creative with that uh, have a leg up. And then the fourth one is one that, man, I'm telling you, most people don't even really think about until they're in the moment, is you you have to hone your interviewing skills. Just because you are a good people person and you're a charismatic person, that doesn't mean you're going to do a great job in the interview. Yeah. And there's a certain set of questions that you are probably going to get. And so what I used to do when I was an assistant at Clemson, my wife's a journalist is we would literally sit in our bedroom and she had her tape recorder and she would ask me the questions that we knew I was going to get. Yeah. And I would answer the questions and then I would listen to them back and I'd be like, man, I didn't answer that one very well. Like that that did not sound very well. When you practice, you get better. It's the same thing we tell our players. Right. And I think honing your interviewing skills, whether it's doing media stuff, whether it's doing podcasts, whether it's just sitting there with your wife or your girlfriend practicing like i did um, that will really help you prepare because again what they're going to ask you is not going to be out of the blue in fact i have a set of questions i can send to you guys if you want that we share with some of the coaches in our our group black coach university um on hey if you get an interview this is what's coming they're going to ask you about your philosophy towards recruiting they're going to ask you about how you're going to formulate your staff they're going to ask mm-hmm. you how you want to approach scheduling they're going to ask you about in this day and age nil the transfer portal how right. you want to handle those things mm-hmm. those things are coming and so no you doubt. better have an answer formed otherwise you might be a good people person but you're probably not going to hit that answer out of the park sorry doug that was long winded <laughs> no no i doug, good stuff actually <laughs> to be honest with you if you were going to have me on for five minutes, that would probably be the most important thing I would share with rising coaches is those four things.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No, That, that was, was perfect. Honestly, perfect. And no I, I I, wanted to sit here and write it down. I'm definitely going to be listening back to this and, and taking a lot of that down. And if you don't mind, or if, if you even have the, that list of questions, that'd be great. Um, Cause then we can always go on and maybe even start another podcast. Me and Alan just kind of talking about those. Uh, I'll send it given- to Alan.
2: Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Have Alexa have Alexa shoot me those. I'll I'll text her to uh, to get them from you. Yeah, no that problem. would be perfect. Thank you guys for having me. Of hey, course, man, I appreciate your friendship, brother. It's, it, I hope to see you face to face at some point soon. But um, like I said, man, uh, you got a. I know you got a squad uh, that's loaded and and uh, ready to kind of reinsert themselves back into the fight as we say so uh and i know you appreciate them i know you appreciate them. oh man Mike i love David. these
0: guys man i i uh that's one of the great things about experiences I, I do think we gain appreciation you know with with our years of doing this because we've seen, <laughs> we've seen the, the other <laughs> right? right. So, hey if you uh if you ever can make it up this way and want to come to come in for a practice or game or you know, anything, we'd love to have you.
2: No, that'd be great, man. But hey, thank you again for doing this. And uh, we'll let Doug, Doug will kind of close us out. But again, um, more than anything, man, basketball aside, um, appreciate your friendship, man.
1: Honestly, truly. Yes, sir, man. Thank you. Same, I feel the same way. Well, coach, thank you. Yeah, obviously, thank you for being on the call, sharing your experiences. Um, and thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in with us. Hopefully got some good information, because I know we sure did. Uh, And then that does it for another episode of the Rising Coaches podcast. Again, I'm Doug Caputo, alongside Alan Major. Keep working and keep rising, coaches. Take care. Video analysis is expensive, and I'm sure your budget isn't getting much bigger. Fulcrum Tech is here to help. Used by basketball teams at all levels from D1, D2, D3, all the way to high school. Their Angles product is similar to what you know and allows you to code, capture, and analyze with ease. All you have to do is import the raw video and synergy with just the click of a mouse. Over the past two years, over 60% of their D1 teams and conferences, such as the SEC, Pac-12, American, A10, or even the NBC, just to name a few, have made the postseason. All this while saving thousands and thousands of dollars a year compared to their old company because let's be honest who doesn't want to save more money all you have to do is reach out to at fulcrum tech on twitter or reach out to their sales at sales at fulcrumtech.com via email and be sure to mention if you are a rising coaches member or the rising coaches podcast do more spend less with fulcrum tech I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in with us this episode. If you are not a member, want more content, or even be a potential member on our member spotlight to have your story heard, go visit risingcoaches.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Rising Coaches. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and review so we can continue to keep rising together.